good day to everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see everybody out there today and those who are watching online as well. Uh, if you don't know, I'm Pastor Cody. I'm the Connections Pastor here, and it's an honor and privilege to be able to be here with all of you today. Uh, Pastor Joe will be back with the Unearthed Sermon series uh, next week. So if you came for that, um, just, you'll just make sure you catch that next week, okay? Uh, but today we're going to be looking at Habakkuk, actually. Habakkuk chapter 3. And I've titled this sermon, actually, Yet I Will Rejoice. But before we dive into it, I just want to pray for us, okay? <clears throat> Lord, we're grateful. Grateful for the opportunity to be here Father, I pray that you would hide me behind your words as Chris prayed. And I pray, Father, that uh, your uh, name would be lifted high, that you would be exalted. God, that uh, use these words that you have uh, brought to me, my attention today, God, and, and help them, anoint them, God, anoint these lips so whatever isn't of you would be, would fall off and and whatever is would remain and touch the, the hearts of the folks who are listening today. I pray, Father, Lord, that, that you would do this. Lord, and I also know that we're not the only church in Bella Vista, and specifically, God, we want to pray for Village Bible Church. Lord, I pray that you would uh, touch their leadership, help them, guide them in, in their efforts to reach and proclaim uh, the gospel in Bella Vista so that, uh, God, you would get all the glory. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have uh, your Bibles and you'd like to turn with me to uh, the third chapter of Habakkuk, that's where we're going to be today. And we're going to read all 19 verses. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Sigeonoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. O Lord, renew them in your day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the, the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea? When you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots, you uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and withered. Turrets of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from the head to foot, Selah. 
With his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Now you may be wondering, who is Habakkuk? And that's a really good question, I'm glad you asked. Because very little is actually known about the person of Habakkuk, actually. Unlike other prophets of the Old Testament, uh, we don't know who his father was, we don't know what tribe he was affiliated with, we, we don't even know the town he's from. See, very little details about Habakkuk are given other than he prayed very courageously. And some scholars think that he may have even been a priest or a prophet both, actually. But he does make up the eighth of the 12 minor prophets recorded in Scripture found here in the Old Testament. Now, Habakkuk was writing sometime during around the 600 B.C., and by this point in the history of God's chosen people, the kingdom actually had been divided into two separate kingdoms. You had the southern kingdom of Judah, and then you had the northern kingdom, what is known as Israel. And the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians around 721 B.C. And now the same impending judgment that came upon the northern kingdom of Israel was now going to fall upon the southern kingdom of Judah where Habakkuk was located. Now, I don't have time to go into all the history of all that today, but I would encourage you to, on your own time to read First uh, and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings. I think that will help give you a better understanding of what I'm talking about today. But Habakkuk the person seems to take concerns and even pains that troubled him to the Lord. So, which is unique, uh, typically uh, he, the prophet would speak on behalf of God to the people rather than speaking to God on behalf of the people, uh, or to God. Uh, while we may not know much about Habakkuk's identity, his character seems to be actually pretty clear. He was a devoted follower of God, and we can tell this by how he submitted himself to the Lord and he clearly has this raw honesty toward God. And he, I think he even has a deep level of spirituality. But for Habakkuk in this short three-chapter book, he's been asking two significant questions. First, why do the righteous suffer? And why, God, do you seem to remain silent? Have you ever asked those types of questions before? Perhaps even lately. So after Habakkuk asked such questions, he found that God chose to answer him really in some unexpected ways. 
Ultimately, the answer that Habakkuk uh, was looking for brought him back to God himself. He returned to the theme of the greatness and the majesty of God found here in chapter 3. Because honestly, isn't that the best place for all of us, right? Ultimately, the answers that we're looking for begin and end with God. And a portion of this third chapter uh, is Habakkuk's response to God's answers. See, chapter 3 reveals to us that Habakkuk would come to a place within himself where, where he trusted God's sovereignty and he trusted God's salvation. Even though a group of savages like the Babylonians were encroaching down upon him and upon, the Ju- upon Judah and ready to, to, to act. So today, I would like to speak with you about this idea that we can trust God no matter what. That we can trust God no matter what today. Which brings me to my first point. We can petition God to sustain his people again. Verse 2 says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So out of the entire chapter of, ver- of chapter 3, the verse this verse, verse 2, is the only one that's in the form of a petition where he's actually asking God to do something. The rest of Habakkuk will be describing a vision that he has of the greatness of God and then ultimately his confidence in the sovereign work of God. But he begins by declaring to God that he has heard of God's fame. I believe a reason why Habakkuk can trust God's ability to sustain him and his people is because he has heard what God has done in the past and he has chosen to put his faith in the sovereign work of God. The verse says, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of what you have done. The only language that Habakkuk can find to describe how he feels is just to use the word awe. Have you ever just used the word awe before? Maybe it's looking at a beautiful sunset or a a scenic place, but you just had this all over sense of awe and wonder. And that's really what Habakkuk's describing here when he uses this word of awe of what God had done in the past. It's almost like verse two was written after verses three and 15. Uh, But I, I know it wasn't, but it just seems like it where he expresses some of the things that God had done in the past and also what he's going to do in the future. So I can only imagine then that the petition was for God to work on their behalf, on the behalf of, of, the, of Judah, to spare them from the impending judgment that was coming upon them. And he uses the word repeat here, and it's in, and it's in the imperative mood. Habakkuk is crying out to God with lots of intensity. His his plea is to Yahweh. It's it's serious. It's not in some flippant matter. Habakkuk is confessing to God that the memories of who God had been in the past had been lost on the previous few generations. They truly didn't understand God's majesty. They didn't understand his grandeur. They didn't understand his holiness. They didn't understand his covenants. They were lost. They had went their own way. 
And the usage of the word repeat could also be translated renew, which implies they personally needed to taste and see that God is good. They personally needed to experience God's salvation, even his revelation of himself to them. Do it again was Habakkuk's request. Repeat your work. Make your deeds known again to a new generation was his prayer. I wonder if that's our prayer today. Is, is that your prayer for even the generations that's coming up? Generation Z and whatever other alphabet soup there is? Now, church, we must understand here that multiple generations at this point had forsaken God. Wickedness on a major scale was running rampant all throughout the southern kingdom of Judah. And Habakkuk was asking the question, why is wickedness and evil abounding? That's why he uses the word repeat here. He's asking Yahweh to supernaturally intervene again like he had done in the past with his people where people once again would turn to God. Habakkuk would have been familiar with 2 Chronicles 17 where Yahweh is responding to Solomon. He says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. You, have you heard that before? Yeah. This is a little conjecture on my part here, but, but I have to believe that Habakkuk truly believed that this could happen again for Judah. Judah could be spared if Judah would only turn and repent. Perhaps God would intervene like he did in the past by rescuing the Hebrew people out of the clutches of the Babylonians this time. Now, we'll add a stipulation as well. God doesn't have to respond the way we think he should. In fact, what if he doesn't respond the way we hope he would? If God doesn't move like, like we thought he, sh he should or would, the real question is, can we still trust him? Can we still trust God? This is the question that Habakkuk is having to wrestle with. Could Habakkuk still trust God to be God of his salvation? Even if God chose to answer Habakkuk's question and please in a, in a different way. But what about you? Could you still trust God even if your circumstances look bleak? Will he sustain us? Will he sustain his church? Even would he, is he going to sustain this nation? But I think we should take apart from Habakkuk's playbook here. He, he cries, for in the midst of what you're going to do in our day, in the midst of your wrath, remember mercy. Amen? Remember mercy. He's asking God to show his kindness and his forgiveness toward them. Habakkuk knows that God is a God of mercy. He was crying out and he was interceding for the covenant people. 
And he was, he was saying, God, remember us in the midst of your judgment. Remember mercy. Habakkuk knew that, that God was sending judgment upon them, but he also knew who God had been in the past. And he wouldn't destroy his covenant people, even if it looked like the circumstances were headed that way. That's why he said, remember mercy. Church family, do we need the mercy of God today? Remembering that God is a God of mercy. He's a helpful reminder. It's a helpful reminder for all of us today that mercy has no end. God's love and compassion has no end. We can trust God's ability to sustain us because he's full of mercy. Secondly, we're reminded of his past works. Now this section is chapter, verse 3 through 15. And it's known as a theophany. Uh, now a theophany is actually going to describe an appearance of God in, a great, in great power and great glory. Okay, Usually occurring in some type of divine revelation. Whether in a vision or a dream. Or even uh, sometimes in a, in a, based in a present reality. Uh, and this section is filled with all types of poetic imagery uh, because it was meant, I think, to be sung as a psalm, as a hymn. Uh, it, it's verse 19 tells us, to the choir master with stringed instruments. Habakkuk wanted this to be sung. But notice what verses 3 through 4, uh, uh, 3 through 6 say. Uh, God came from Teman, the holy one from Mount Paran. <coughs> His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. Now, Teman... Uh, I've got a, a slide here. Um, it's, it, this was the best slide that I could find, okay? Uh, but I wanted to try to give just an idea where this is talking about. So Perrin's right here. This is that mountainous region. Uh, Teeman is, is, uh, is over here as well. And the Red Sea's right there. And that's really where um, Habakkuk is describing how uh, God came in the past to help really rescue uh, the people out of Egypt where he gave uh, the people of God the law as well. And the usage for the Holy One here is a reference back to chapter one where Habakkuk had asked the question concerning why God's holiness and righteousness were not responding to all the unholiness and all the unrighteousness that was occurring in Judea and Judah, as well as even within the heathen Babylonians. Now, I believe it's important to not skip, though, right after that, the Selah, because it reminds us to pause. That's what a Selah means. It means to pause, to take in, to absorb, take in this greatness, the weightiness of who God is. See, that is his, that is his glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. 
See, glory here refers to the splendor of God and his manifested presence. And he is everywhere conceivable and then beyond comprehension. Think about that. And the phrase, the praise of God filled the entire earth. Oh, church family, just like in here, which I thought was beautiful, by the way, when we were collectively singing that last song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty together. And we were feeling the praise of this room together to glorify God. Think about that across the whole earth, that the glory of God would be sung The praise of God would be sung across the entire earth. That's his call here. That's what he's crying out for. Is that a call for all the earth to bow in humble reverence to the almighty, the all-knowing, the all-king of kings and lord of lords to give him praise and honor. He goes on in verse 4 and he says, His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there his, his veiled, he veiled his power. Can you imagine? I mean, this is obviously revealing God's supremacy, God's power, going, before, going beyond anything that Habakkuk or you and I could fully comprehend. But friends, this is who God is. This is his glory. This is his majesty. This is his power. And verse 5 mentions plagues and pestilence that has to deal with God commanding all the forces of nature and how he used each and every one of them for his divine sovereignty and his power and might. Verse 6 says, He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I mean, can you imagine the earth shaking and the nations trembling? Mountains being pummeled just because of God's greatness. Think of the Rocky Mountains. Ever been to the Rocky Mountains? A lot of people, yeah? Not everybody, okay. Uh, Think about the Rocky Mountains being pummeled before the greatness of God. Not even the great mountainous regions could stand against God. See, the ancients saw the mountains representing an everlasting permanence. But not even the mountains themselves were permanent and everlasting as God is. They, those mountains cannot stand the test of time. Only God is going to stand the test of time. And then in verses 8 through 15... It reveals God as this warrior God. God fighting for his people. This section deals with how God has fought for the children of Israel in the past and that he is going to do it again. Reminding Habakkuk and all who would hear this and read it that he's going to fight for you. Truly, this is God's sovereignty at work. And that nothing escapes his hand, friends. Nothing. Listen how Habakkuk responds to this vision of God in verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. 
Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Habakkuk's uh, response is pretty intense, isn't it? I mean, it's not unusual for uh, the, the way he responded to be any different than other people in the Old Testament as well, how they also responded. Uh, even Isaiah himself would say in Isaiah 6, 5, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people unclean. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, Isaiah and Habakkuk response tells us all we need to know when it comes to an encounter with God. The result of this vision that God gave Habakkuk was to help him have a larger perspective of God's ability to save and even sustain his people than he had up to this point. And what amazing transformation that Habakkuk actually goes through. If you look back at the very beginning of chapter 1, uh, in, in Habakkuk here, and starting in verse two, I'll just read verse two. He says this, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. See, over the course of his personal, and I would even say honest, encounters with God, Habakkuk was changed. He was brought into the inner chamber, if you will, and he was able to be given privilege to know some mysteries that were unknown to other folks. And I believe that over the course of these three chapters, God has been changing Habakkuk. Notice how Habakkuk's attitude changes as a result of his personal encounter with God. Suddenly the questions that concerned Habakkuk in chapters one and two were all melted away. In fact, he doesn't even bring them up for the rest of the chapter three. Um, Habakkuk saw clearly what God had done in the past, that he was able to be God and he was able to trust God no matter what. Which brings me to my final point today. Rejoice in God in the face of unwelcoming circumstances. Look with me again at verse 16c this time. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Does this sound like a person who's scared? No, it doesn't, does it? See, Habakkuk's response was just to wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon, upon the people that are going to invade them. That means they're still going to be invaded. I mean, the Babylonians were coming. <laughs> Do you think you would be waiting patiently if the Babylonians were knocking at your door? Knocking at our country's door? So how was Habakkuk able to respond this way? Because he has the peace, I believe, and the clarity from trusting God no matter what. And I believe there's probably some folks in here today that have ex had some experiences in your life where you had to make the decision to trust God wholeheartedly or go at it alone. See, friends, it takes faith to trust in the Lord. But the outcome of you trusting in God will be, I believe, peace and a strong and steady assurance that you are in the hands of a faithful and loving and merciful sovereign God. 
And, and even nothing can separate that. The vision that Habakkuk had of God, I believe, changed everything. He was able to trust and accept God's sovereign ability and plan, even if he knew that that plan was not looking too favorable for him and Judah in a season. Which begs me to ask the question, how big is your vision of God today? Would you say that you trust God in this type of way? That you can trust God no matter what? It's a pertinent question for all of us. And this is the first time in the story where Habakkuk responds by waiting quietly after a word from God. Usually the other ways, the other times when, when, God, when Habakkuk would ask a question and God would respond, he would always have a, a quick re, uh, answer back to God. But not this time. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone where the, the best thing to do was just to remain quiet? Yeah, I think so. I wonder if some of us need to respond to God today by just being still and knowing God is God. I wonder if some of us are asking God to remove some troubles in our lives, but God is saying, in the midst of that, trust me over your circumstances. I am bigger than your circumstances. I wonder if God is trying to increase our faith. Would you be able to respond the same way Habakkuk does here in verses 17 through 19? Let's, let me read this. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. See, these six clauses are, are, can be categorized from the least severe to the greatest of severity. From the loss of figs all the way to the herds being empty, which would cause an economic, not recession, depression. And I would say probably an emotional depression as well, wouldn't you? Uh, I think this type of loss would seem hopeless for a lot of people. It would probably destroy the average person of today. So why not Habakkuk? See, Habakkuk seemed to possess a supernatural, bold faith. Basically the type of faith that to say, whatever comes, whether it be injustice or violence in his own society, an invasion from the Babylonians, or no pigs and herds in the stalls. I'm going to choose to, to rejoice in, the, in God, the God of my salvation. So let's put it in perspective of today. You ready? Even if there is not enough food and drinks on the shelves, even if the energy that makes our economy to run and the energy that it's needed for cooking and lighting were to go and fields were to produce no crops or grain, nor if there were no sheep, goats, nor cattle, and we couldn't afford gas to put in the tank anyways, and job loss was at an all-time high, and one of our enemies was crouching at the door, yet 
I will still praise the Lord. I will still rejoice in the Lord. I will still take joy in the God of my salvation. Why? Because he says it here, because the sovereign Lord is my strength. Is God your strength today? See, this is the only time in the passage uh, out, out of word, the word Yahweh Adonai, which means sovereign Lord, is used outside of Psalms. Habakkuk is saying, my sovereign Lord is my strength. God is his salvation. He understood that God would save him not only in this life, but for all eternity. It's important to realize that Habakkuk was not placing his confidence in some momentary governmental officials or even in the people in general that they would respond in a way that they would repent and come back to the Lord. He understood that the Babylonians were coming out of judgment. That didn't stop him from praising the Lord. The Babylonians were momentary, but God is eternal. So just as Habakkuk had to wrestle with God around the thought, could he truly trust God no matter what? That same question has to be asked of each and every one of us today as well. Can we trust God no matter what? I know there are many things, church, hear me, that are warring for us to place our trust in them. And you know what those are for you individually right now. But as tempting as they may be for you to place your hope and trust in those things, they will never sustain you. They will only restrict your vision from seeing the one who is truly able and trustworthy and merciful to sustain you. The truth is, God is greater than our fears and challenges that we face right now. And Habakkuk finally understood that. And as people of God, I pray that we would begin to understand that as well, which I believe can be cause for rejoicing. To rejoice means to express exceeding joy. And I don't know about you, but I don't always feel like having exceeding joy when the circumstances seem pretty crazy. They seem uncertain. But Habakkuk is saying, yet I will rejoice, even in light of all the bad circumstances that are coming our way. Just because our circumstances may change, that doesn't mean our God does. We have to be able to see beyond our circumstances and see God. Because the cause for my praise does not come from how I feel, but it comes from the God who is my Lord and my salvation. Would you be able to say this? My praise belongs to God who is sovereignly over all things. My praise is to God who is my strength and my shield. That's who I'm going to praise. That is who I'm rejoicing. That is who I'm believing in. Even when things look dim and they may not turn out the way I hoped that they would. Because I don't praise God based upon my circumstances. But I praise God for who he is. I praise God because he's a redeemer. I praise God 
for salvation. I praise God because he's merciful. And Jesus Christ, who is an intercessor, making intercession for us. I praise God who keeps the enemy at bay. See, friends, this is why we can trust God no matter what, because of who God is. So for our ride home today, this climatic end really puts an exclamation point, I think, on this short book of Habakkuk, okay? And it really, it challenges us to rejoice no matter what our circumstances are because we can trust God no matter what. I believe Habakkuk chapter 2c is right when it says, the righteous shall live by faith. Are you living by faith today? It takes faith to believe, friends. So I wanna encourage you today to pray to God, to give you eyes of faith, to see him bigger than your situation. And some of you are facing some pretty difficult circumstances at the moment. And unless God intervenes, things look grim. Can you trust God with the outcome? I want to tell you today that God is bigger than the fears that you and I face. Bigger than the circumstances. Now hear me too. I'm not trying to downplay circumstances. But I do want you to know that you don't have to let fears drown out who God is. While fears change, God never does. Perhaps this is a way to know God and trust him in a way that you couldn't have or wouldn't have any other way. So can we trust him today? Can we rejoice in him today? Because God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy to be trusted in even. We can trust God no matter what, friends. So what are your fears? What challenges do you face today? Have you made them bigger than God? Does it mean challenges don't happen? Fears don't occur. But it's what we do with those fears. Do you face them alone or do you face them wholeheartedly with God? See, I believe by trusting God, he can become an anchor for your soul. And there's, I believe, a lot of ships without a lot, with a lot of anchors in our world today. So friends, together, as a body of believers, today let us agree that we can trust God no matter what. And if, if you're not a follower of Christ today, but you're needing this type of steady assurance, reach out, take hold of the mercy seat of God today. Confess to Jesus of your sins. Repent, believe in him, and accept him as your Lord and Savior. He's waiting for you, friends, if you don't know him. Let us pray. Oh, Father, thank you that we can trust you no matter what. Thank you for this 
story that it's in Habakkuk, this, this wonderful word, this wonderful truth that we need for such a time as this in our world, God, where everything just seems chaotic. And there feels like there's, there's no anchor. And we're, we're really probably asking similar questions that Habakkuk was asking here. God, I pray that, that we, as, as your church family, God, your body, that we would anchor our souls today in you and that we would trust you no matter what is coming. And I pray, Father, for this in Jesus' name. Amen.